Hey folks, I'm Elijah Ford, attorney at law and managing partner at Atlas Law, and I'm bringing you All You Gotta Do Is, your resource for navigating life's little legal mysteries. Stay tuned and let's make the system make sense. Today's topic, navigating the hornet's nest, that is workers' compensation. So this today's topic is definitely one of those topics that is very uh, specific to the jurisdiction. Uh, Washington State workers' compensation is, um, is really its own beast. So if you are listening um, and you have a workers' compensation claim outside of Washington, I would suggest... Uh, or workers' comp claim or workers' comp question outside of Washington, I'd suggest you uh, consult a professional in your state. Now, with that being said, uh, today, you know, we're, like I said, we're going to talk about worker comp- workers' compensation. We'll start with a little bit of background, and then we'll talk about how to make the system make sense. I'll give you some resources, and then we'll end with a plug. So let's start with some background. A um, little bit of a history lesson. Uh, between 1819 and 1910, economic development in Washington state was uh, primarily fueled by the extractive industries. So think lumber and mining. Uh, and so industrial accidents in those fields, as I'm sure you can imagine, were uh, pretty common. And uh it got to the point where the court systems were just sort of overrun by these lawsuits and they would take a long time and put a lot of burdens on the injured workers to prove employer negligence. Um, And then the courts, you know, just started to become more and more liberal in terms of the, the benefits that they were giving these injured workers. And then the employers started pushing back because they just felt like it it wasn't fair because in some cases the injured workers were getting benefits when there wasn't employer negligence. And then the unions got involved. So there was this like three-party fight. You have the employers on one side. You have the courts who want to do good on one side. And then then the injured workers – um, who were increasingly uh, unionized. So now the unions are getting into this fight. And then by the time it rolls around to the 1911 legislature, the legislature steps in and they're like, okay, guys, we're tired of this. We're going we're gonna to squash this beef. And so what they did is they came together and they made um, some of the, the earliest – state-level workers' compensation um, package of rights in the United States. So 1911, this this is a cutting-edge idea that the state would step in and provide benefits for people injured during the course of of work. And so I'm actually going to read to you a little bit from from that that act that they passed. Uh, So... Here's the beginning of the quote. 
the common law system governing the remedy of workers against employers for injuries received in employment is inconsistent with modern industrial conditions. In practice, it proves to be economically unwise and unfair. Its administration has produced the result that little of the cost of the employer has reached the worker and that only little, and that little only at a large expense to the public. The remedy of the worker has been uncertain, slow, and inadequate. Injuries in such works, formerly occasional, have become frequent and inevitable. The welfare of the state depends upon its industries and even more upon the welfare of its wage workers. The state of Washington, therefore, exercising herein its police and sovereign power, declares that all phases of the premises are withdrawn from private controversy and sure and certain relief for workers injured in their work and their families and dependents is hereby provided regardless of questions of fault and to the exclusion of every other remedy, proceeding, or compensation. So that was a lot of legalese, but basically what they're saying here is that the economy is important and the economy is built on the blood and labor of its workers. Folks are getting injured more frequently, more frequently, and that needs to be dealt with swiftly and fairly. And so with all good intentions, they created the Washington State Workers' Compensation um, um, Act, and that is that can be found in Title 51 of the uh, Revised Codes of Washington. And so what, what's the saying that... Um, the road to hell is paved with good intentions. Uh, I think that might apply here. So the system, as you can see from a little bit of what I told you about the history and reading to you um, from the, uh, the opening passages of the, of the Workers' Compensation Act, that the system was meant to solve a problem, the problem being people getting hurt at work and then not being properly taken care of afterwards. Um, so the system has evolved from that, <clears throat> that kernel, that, that purpose, and it's evolved over the years to provide more benefits. However, it's also evolved to become more complicated. So with that, let's try and make this make some sense. Um, let's start with when do you file a claim? The answer to that is as soon as you are injured. If you even think that you hurt yourself, file a claim. And I know sometimes, you know, people hurt themselves and they think, oh gosh, it's just a little twinge. I'm going to be fine in a couple days. You might not be. Um, so if you, as soon as you're hurt, file a claim. There are time limits attached as well. So for an injury, which is sort of like, uh, it's defined as a sudden and traumatic event happening from 
outside of you. So that would be you slip, you fall, you hurt your knee, or you're lifting something and you know you you tear a muscle in your shoulder. These are injuries. So you have one year from the date the injury happens to file a claim. And if you don't file a claim within that year, too bad, so sad, you've lost your opportunity to file a claim later. You're time barred is what they say. Uh, the other type of way you can be hurt at work is an occupational injury. So an occupational injury is something, it, it, it's, a, it's a condition or a disease that occurs over a period of time and arises naturally and proximately out of your conditions of employment. So if you... If you're one of those guys that's like working with a jackhammer and you're busting up concrete and you're doing this, you know, over a period of a number of years and then you develop carpal tunnel, you know, you go to the doctor because you're having pain in your hands and numbness and the doctor's like, oh, you have carpal tunnel and oh, you have carpal tunnel um, most likely because you handle a jackhammer all day at work, right? So we, we know that gripping and vibration are, you know, those more so even than typing that uh, will cause people to have carpal tunnel. So once that provider lets you know you have a condition related to your work, then you have two years from that date to file a claim. And again, if you don't file that claim within two years, you know, say goodbye to whatever benefits you you might have been entitled to. So how do you file a claim even? Well, that depends. There are two different types of employers in Washington state. You have your state fund employers, and then you have your self-insured employers. Your state fund employers, most employers are state fund. Um, and that means that they are insured through the state. Now, self-insured employers tend to be your, your larger employers. Think Boeing or Walmart um, or Safeway, like those types of like bigger establishments, chains, um, maybe they're headquartered in another state. Those um, types of employers overwhelmingly are um, employ are insured privately. And regardless of whether your employer is insured through the state or whether your employer is insured um, through a private agency, you are still entitled to the same benefits. And the Department of Labor and Industries oversees all of the claims, whether they're state fund or self-insured. So if you have a state fund employer, you will file a, a report of accident. If you have a self-insured employer, you will be filing um, what they called and what they call an S S as in Sam, I F as in Frank, two form, and the forms are basically the same. You're going to go through, you're going to, you know, give some basic biographical data, tell them what happened, you know, how the injury occurred, and then you know the 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 doctor, whoever you see immediately following the injury. 
will then fill out their portion and then that gets submitted and then you have filed a claim. And now just because you have filed the claim does not mean that the claim will be accepted. And we're going to talk a little bit about that later. So I mentioned, though, that with both forms, there's a there's a portion that the doctor has to fill out. So soon as you feel like you've hurt yourself, the first thing you do is you go see a medical provider. The initial evaluation and any initial testing that you need to do, any initial MRIs, X-rays, blood work, what have you, that will be covered by the by the self-insured employer or by labor and industries. So that initial testing, regardless of whether the claim ultimately gets accepted or not, will be covered. So if you say to yourself, oh, I can't afford going to the doctor to get this checked out, go to the doctor to get it checked out, that appointment will be covered. You are allowed to choose your own medical provider. Now, sometimes, especially with these um, larger self-insured employers, they will try to steer you towards um, doctors that they like or doctors that they've worked with before, doctors, you know, that they somehow, you know, have a relationship with. But it is important for you to remember, you can see who you want to see for that first appointment, right? What is said and what is documented in that first appointment is so critically important because that, it will influence and dictate the the course of the claim. So if you go in there and you're telling the doctor about how you hit your head and your shoulder, but then the doctor only, you know, mentions the shoulder and then you go on to develop uh, a post-concussion syndrome, well, now you're screwed because the doctor didn't mention that the head was even a problem initially. And then it looks like you're a liar and like you're trying to add stuff on later. So you can see your own provider See that provider soon, be thorough, make sure that the doctor is being thorough in terms of how they are documenting what you are telling them. Um, and I, I can't overstate it. It's so important. I've seen claims go sideways just because of what that, what that initial provider wrote in that first chart note. Um, and so after you have filled out the paperwork and, you know, seen the provider, what happens next? Well, what happens next is that that claim goes deep into the belly of the beast and, uh, you know, they figure out which way it's going to go. Sometimes it feels like, you know, a monkey throwing paint at the walls. No shots at my folks at the Department of Labor and Industries. I know you guys are all overworked and underpaid, but my God. Um, Anyhow, so the department um, or the self-insured employer gets the claim, and then they make a decision. And that decision is based on a number of things. It's based on what the initial provider has said and, you know, what, what the guidelines are pertaining to whatever type of injury. You know, they're, they're, uh, if you are a firefighter, for instance, and you 
have a smoke inhalation-related condition, they're going to treat that differently than if you are just a construction worker and you have a smoke-related condition. They're not going to assume that the smoke-related condition is related to your work. However, if you're a firefighter, then you get that assumption. So it's going to depend on the injury, the circumstances, how it's been documented. To a certain extent, it's going to depend on whose desk it's landed on. Um, But once your claim has been received and accepted, then you're entitled to a pretty decent um, array of benefits. Um, The benefits that you're entitled to include medical treatment, and this is also just beyond that initial visit and the diagnostics, um, but regular regular medical visits, any prescription medications, any surgery, physical therapy, massage therapy, aquatic therapy, you name it. Um, and then if you are not able to work as a result of the injury, then you get wage replacement benefits. And these wage replacement benefits could include time loss compensation if you're not working for a period of time while you're getting better or or while you're receiving treatment, Um, loss of earning power benefits if you can't work your regular job and earn your regular salary, but you could still do something, um, then they pay you for that gap in pay between what you were making before the injury and what you're subsequently able to make after the injury. Um, And then if you are just not able to work anymore because of the industrial injury, then you get paid a pension. And that's essentially time loss compensation um, for life until you're in the ground. And you can also elect to have your surviving spouse get that those pension payments um, if you predecease them. And we will, um, in future episodes, we'll talk more about these types of benefits and what to do if something goes sideways. Um, <clears throat> so in addition to the medical benefits, wage replacement benefits, there are also uh, vocational services that are available to you. So if you're hurt, you know, let's say you're, you were a logger and, or a trucker, a truck driver, for instance, and you were hurt and you can't, you know, get a CDL anymore, and that's a commercial driver's license anymore um, because of your injury, maybe you can be retrained to do something else Um, And then the department will hire a vocational consultant to work with you, you know, to to figure out what your goals are, figure out what your skills are, and um, they may put you through a retraining program. So they actually give you a bunch of money and pay you to go to school. And then when you're done with that schooling, they (laughs) close the claim, they wash their hands with you, and off you go, um, you know, hopefully to start a new career. Uh, You know, that that topic really deserves its own whole episode, so I'm not going to go too deep into the weeds with that one. Um, Another benefit that you may be entitled to is permanent partial disability. And that is an award, a money, a monetary award that you get at the end of your claim if you have 
any residual impairment. So if, if for instance, you know, I'm a logger, I get struck in the knee by a log, I'm able to go back to work logging, but, you know, I just, I have some level of impairment. That knee is not the same as it was before the injury. I had to have surgery, you know, what have you. Well, then the department will determine what percentage of, of like, use you've lost. You know, what percentage of limitation do you have? And then they will pay you accordingly. Um, and I will have to say that it's never enough, okay? Like, it, it's just never enough. If you are in pain and you're able and you're not able to do the things that you want to do, whatever chunk of money the insurance company has thrown on you or thrown at you or thrown in your way is, is not going to feel like enough. Um, and again, this is another one of those topics that really could deserve its own episode, and we'll talk more about that later. Uh, and then the the last potential settlement, I like to call this the shut up and go away, um, but it's it's a structured settlement, and it's almost a full um, compromise and release. And what I mean by that is, uh, you're you're basically saying to the insurance company or the department, all right, if you give me X amount of money, I will go away and not cause any more issues for you. <laughs> and yeah, that, that again is another one of those things that probably could deserve its own episode. And again, whatever amount of money they throw at you, it's not going to be enough to live on. Um, I've seen these settlements range from about 25,000 to just under $200,000. And that sounds like a lot of money, but it really isn't when you stop and consider that a certain portion of that uh, is attorney's fees. And you know, $200,000, even if no one's taking a fee out of it, is not enough to live on for the rest of your life. So, um, and you know, potentially it's not even enough to compensate you for what you've lost in terms of the things that you used to be able to do. So that that's pretty much it for the host of benefits that you are entitled to. So now let's talk about what you are not entitled to. Um, you're not entitled to treatment for life. You're not entitled to palliative treatment. And what I mean by palliative treatment is treatment that just makes you feel better, but doesn't uh, address the underlying cause of the condition. So if, you know, you said to me, oh, Elijah, I have a headache and I gave you an aspirin, that would be palliative. That aspirin is just going to make your head feel better. But if you came to me and you said, oh, Elijah, my head hurts. And I said, oh, great, because I moonlight as a neurosurgeon. Come round my office tonight. I'll cut you open, move a few things around, and we'll get you all fixed up. Um, I wouldn't recommend backroom neurosurgery. But the point is that that surgery would be curative, right? It would be aimed at addressing the underlying cause of your headache. So the department or the self-insured employer is not going to um, pay for stuff that just makes you feel better. And then the last thing, and this is a tough one, 
for people to wrap their heads around because they're used to people getting in car injuries and you know the or car accidents and the stuff they see on TV but in the workers compensation arena you do not get any compensation for pain or suffering your SOL go cry go cry about it but you're not going to get paid <laughs> okay so you don't you don't get any of the thrills or the frills no loss of consortium no pain and suffering none of that right um it's it's really like we're going to take care of what we are physically responsible for uh, i should also say that mental injuries are also taken care of so if you um I, we had one client who worked not even at the bank but across the street from a bank and the bank was robbed the bank across the street was robbed the our client saw the robbery and developed PTSD from that from witnessing this event at not even their work but at someone else's work and i want you to know friends that person got a pension so they that 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 PTSD just messed them up um for life and they were not able to work anymore uh so so mental your mental health can be impacted and it will be covered if it is and i will tell you guys that the insurance companies will fight those mental health ones hard because um they know that they can drag on forever and you don't need anything objectively to prove them so they definitely want to fight those tooth and nail um but you know we we see we see mental health come up a lot with PTSD uh especially the folks you folks in the healthcare industry uh you guys have been hard hit and a lot of healthcare workers believe it or not get assaulted uh and then you know kind of naturally develop PTSD as a result of that and then that you can file a claim for that and it will be compensated and they will pay for your um your doctor's visits and your 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 therapies so i know i just said that pain and suffering is not um you're not entitled to any kind of award for that however if you develop depression anxiety or ptsd from an injury those things are considered and um you can be compensated for that. So that's a little different than the pain and suffering that one would normally think of um that they would be entitled to following a car accident uh for instance. So car accident that's a really great segue to talk about the next topic which is how does this work? You know, how how does this impact employers? And the the short answer is this is insurance right so it works like all other insurance works everybody who works is paying a portion of their paycheck into this system right into this insurance system and then the insurance money is being handled or managed either by the state fund or the the self-insured employers insurance companies and when someone files a claim against an employer that claim impacts the employer's insurance ratings and premiums so the more um claims 
an employer has, and the more money is being paid out for those claims, the more the employer is paying to be insured. So, you know, a lot of times we'll see these employers fight to have claims rejected or to have benefits sort of ended. And the injured worker is sitting there like, oh, my God, I can't believe they're doing this to me. I worked with this employer for 20 years and now they're hanging me out to dry. And I always have to remind these people it's not about you. It's impacting you, but it's not about you. The employer is running a business, and now this claim that you are filing is impacting their bottom line. They are now paying more to do business because of you, right? So it's not that they are out to get you, injured worker. They are just out to try to save some cash, right? So I I know that that's one of those things that's really hard to wrap your mind around, in these situations because it's it's oftentimes folks have been working for employers for a long time and and feel a sense of pride in their work and and loyalty and respect and then an injury happens and then they just feel like they're being hung out to dry so it, i just felt like it it was worthwhile to explain that this is simply an insurance system and employers, like all of us, don't want to pay more money. Not saying it's right. I'm just saying sometimes it helps to understand what the other perspective is so that you understand what you, you know, what you need to do. Um, and in terms of what you need to do, let's talk about that. Let's talk about what you need to do if you run into some pitfalls. So first, let's talk about what some of the common pitfalls are and understand that there will be future episodes where we go more in depth about some of these things. But common pitfalls, the claim gets rejected. Another one Treatment isn't being authorized in a timely manner. Um, And this one can be really problematic because sometimes if treatment is provided early, uh, the recovery time is is shorter. But, you know, if if the injury is identified and then it's not treated because, you know, it got caught in the bureaucratic quagmire um, that is labor and industries or, you know, really any insurance company, then it gets to the point where now a simple fix now is much harder. And maybe this person wouldn't have required surgery before, but now they do need surgery. And then it's another six weeks, you know, two months to try and get that surgery um, authorized. So that sometimes that, that could be a really sticky, sticky wicket. Um, Another common pitfall are the wages are incorrect. So when um, if you're not able to work because of an injury and you're getting paid time loss, that time loss is based on what you were earning at all jobs at the time you were injured. So if the department or the self-insured Uh, company has the information wrong about what your wages are, then you're not going to be paid your wage replacement benefits correctly either. And nothing is worse than when your money is funny. So that's another um, big pitfall. Uh, Another one is if the wages are correct, but you're still not getting paid your time loss on time. 
uh, or they are trying to close the claim prematurely. You know, they're trying to close the claim, but the doctor is still saying, hey, no, you need more physical therapy or no, actually, I think you need treatment. Um, or they, uh, the insurance company or, or the state is trying to send you back to work prematurely. Um, I would, oh, another one would be if the department or self-insured employer tries to send you to an independent medical evaluation. And spoiler alert, friends, there is nothing independent about these evaluations. Um, They are companies that are hired by the state or the insurance company to conduct these evaluations on their behalf. So, I mean, if they start kicking out too many reports that are in favor of the injured worker, what do you think is going to happen? I mean, is the department going to keep calling them to do reports? Probably not. So, um, yeah, sorry about that spoiler alert, friends. Uh, the the other things, and these aren't so – these following um, items, they're not so much pitfalls as they are, like – you know, things to watch out for. But if you are someone who is not a native English speaker or you are somebody with um, a traumatic injury, like, uh, you know, falling from a roof and becoming paralyzed uh, or you have a traumatic brain injury, I would say it would be very important um, for you to seek legal counsel Uh, because the the system is going to be uh, even harder for you to navigate. So that's a spoiler for what I'm going to say next, and that is, you know, what do you do if you're not getting the benefits that you're entitled to? Get an attorney. Get an attorney early. It's easier to get things on track than it is to get things on track once they've gone off of the track. So if, if you have filed the claim and it's been rejected, get an attorney right then at that point. If you file a claim and it's, and it's been accepted and you just feel like, oh, you know, some of my communication with my claims manager has just been a little bit off or I feel like the insurance company is – asking for more things than I think they should or, you know, or, or anything in your gut is is going off or you just feel like something's not sitting right with you, get an attorney right then at that point. Don't wait for things to go wrong. It is easier and cheaper for everyone involved if the attorney is involved early and has the opportunity to get things started on the right foot versus you start on the wrong foot and then the attorney has to help things get on the right foot. I mean, that's what we're here for. We will do that. But you're you're also going to be incurring um, more heartache for yourself <laughs> the longer you wait. Um, and the other thing that's key to remember here is that everything that the department does or the self-insured employer does has a timeline that is associated. So anytime the department or the self-insured employer kicks out a decision, you have 60 days from the date you receive that decision to protest it or appeal it. And if that 60 days comes and goes and you don't say boo about it, then too bad, 
so sad. You've lost that right to complain. And an attorney is going to be well aware of that and is going to be taking action within the time frame to make sure that you're not missing out on um, any rights. So my, you know, that, 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 that is my counsel. It doesn't have to be me that you reach out to, but you should reach out to someone. Um, the other thing I would say, in addition to getting an attorney, getting an attorney involved early, is making sure that you have a supportive, a supportive provider, a supportive medical provider or mental health provider if it's a mental health claim, because that provider has so much power in the system. Um, when these things go to trial, there's actually a jury instruction that gets read to the jury that instructs them that the, uh, the opinions of the attending physician are to be given greater weight than other providers in the claim. So if you have a attending provider or attending physician who is not in your corner, your claim is going to go sideways fast and hard. So, and that's another thing that an attorney can help you with is finding a supportive provider. So now let's talk about some resources because as you can see, it's, there's a, there's a lot to navigate. Um, but there are some resources if you feel like, you know, you're, you're capable and you want to navigate yourself. Or maybe you check out these resources and then you determine that, nope, I do want help. Um, so here in Washington State, regardless of whether you have a state fund or a self-insured employer, you can find information about your claim and how to find a claim. Uh, oh, sorry, how to file a claim at Secure Access Washington, and that's secure.lni.wa.gov. And then, of course, my own website, which you can find um, at atlaslawps.com. And on my website, we have links um, that will help you find uh, supportive providers, as well as links to all the um, the necessary forms that you'll need, as well as a handy question and answer section where you can maybe find um, some of your, your low-lying questions answered without having to engage an attorney. But if you do want to engage an attorney, here's the plug. If you're here in Washington State and have a workers' compensation issue or question, please reach out to us here at Atlas Law and let us take the weight off your shoulders. All right, this wouldn't be a legal podcast without a legal disclaimer, y'all. So remember, seek legal counsel for your specific situation and in your specific jurisdiction. Thank you all for listening. And remember, if you don't get the system... The system is going to get you. See y'all next time.